I came across a very encouraging statistic in the last couple of days. So far through three games, Oklahoma has 22 tackles for loss. The University of Alabama, led by defensive genius Nick Saban, through three games of their own, has 16 tackles for loss. That's right. In a defensive havoc statistic, the Sooners are ranked higher than the Crimson Tide as we enter week four of the college football season. Speaking with the OU Football Media Brigade Monday, Alex Grinch said he's a TFL freak, that when he sees those plays where contact is made in the backfield and it could be a one or two yard loss, but then turns into a play for no gain, Grinch said that, quote, drives him nuts. Grinch's defense is designed for his players to get into the backfield and disrupt opposing offenses. And so far through three weeks, we've seen that. Talking to Ronnie Perkins Monday, he said he loves that Grinch keeps the guys accountable when it comes to making plays in the backfield. Perkins has two TFLs and one sack so far in 2019. For months, it was all just talk, turnovers, speed D, tackles for loss. And now, two-thirds of the way through September, a lot of that talk has been backed up with results on the field. Grinch and Lincoln Riley make it a point, though, to remind us that Oklahoma still has a ways to go on defense, which is to be expected, and 100% the truth. But at least from an outside-the-team perspective, it does look and feel like this Sooners defense is different, in a good way, than it has been in recent years. That being said, is it possible this is all a mirage? Let's compare this season's OU defense with last season's OU defense through three games. Points allowed per game this year, 19.6. Last year through three games, 20.6. Yards per play allowed this year, 5.4. Last year through three games, 5.3. Sacks this year, 9. Sacks through three games last year, also 9. What about tackles for loss? Remember, Oklahoma's got more than Alabama so far this season. The Sooners' 22 tackles for loss this year is less than Oklahoma had last year at this time. Through three games in 2018, the Sooners had 28 tackles for loss. No speed D, no hyper-focus on turnovers and havoc, yet Mike Stoops' bunch had more TFLs than Alex Grinch's bunch through three weeks. What about OU's ability to get off the field so far this year? The Sooners' third down defense has been pretty great, right? Yes, it has. OU has been tremendous on third down this season. Opponents have converted only 9 of 37 third downs against the Sooners' speed D. That's a 24% clip, good enough for 11th in the nation. Finally, an important stat that this year's defense is leaps and bounds ahead of last year's defense, right? Well, not quite. The Sooners were actually pretty solid on third down through three games last season as well. Opponents converted 14 of 44 third downs, a 31% clip. Not as good as this year's team, but not as bad as I bet all of you had expected. Fortunately, OU has forced more turnovers this year. The Sooners have five so far. Last season, OU only had two after its first three games. I don't think the takeaways are a mirage. There's something to be said, in my opinion, about a defensive culture that emphasizes getting the ball back to the offense on every single snap. While that's encouraging, overall, the reasonable thing for all of us to do is to continue to be skeptical of this Oklahoma defense. The Sooners' schedule 
hasn't been all that great so far. And they haven't even hit Big 12 play yet, which OU had hit by this time last year. My eyes tell me that we've seen progress when it comes to this new Sooner Speed D, but my brain tells me, whoa, man, hold on. I'm afraid we're not out of the woods yet, gang. Not even close. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. No intro today. Oklahoma's on a bye week, so we're going to take a bye from the intro so we can get right to some hot college football talk. And you know what? I'm not going to waste any time today. Let's just bring in Grant for the first time today. Grant, you know, we record these opening takes sometimes separate, so you haven't heard me do the opening take, but did you by chance read the opening take in the script? Do you have any idea what I talked about? I skimmed it. I skimmed it. <laughs> I, I, I kind of got the... Uh... Yeah, I... Uh, yeah, I skimmed it a little bit. Uh, picked up kind of what the you offense, were, right? Picked up kind of what you were throwing down there, but no, I mean you were for some reason comparing OU's defense to Alabama's. <laughs> I don't, um, well, I don't really get that. I don't know why that's one applicable, but one statistic: OU's got more TFLs than Bama this year. Didn't OU start last year with like thirty tackles for loss in the first three games of the season? I feel okay. like they had a lot. You should have skimmed my opening take better that's the whole point of my opening take all right so i'm sorry listeners but we're gonna have to go through a couple other things now because i want to talk about that because the first part of this podcast i want to talk about the oklahoma defense because a lot of the discussion i think going into the ucla game was that all right this is game three on the road in 2018 the third game of the season was also on the road and oklahoma's defense was basically torched by akeem butler and iowa state's backup quarterback ended up being backup quarterback I mean, really, like their third-string quarterback when you actually think yeah. about it because oh, yeah. That's Purdy was obviously their number one guy. Yeah. No, <laughs> you're right. Yikes. Yeah, and, and that was a point where we're like, okay, man, man, this Oklahoma defense. We thought it was looking pretty good against FAU and UCLA, but nah. Okay, let's, let's pull it back. And then you fast-forward to this year, and against UCLA, yeah, we saw a little more big plays than we thought, but there weren't any, like, horrible 50-yard explosive touchdowns. I mean, I think their biggest play still was probably, well, it was that long run after that sack. I think they got about 40 yards or so. So we came away, you and I both came away from the UCLA game feeling pretty positive about the defense. But you look at some key statistics from this season and then back to last season, you kind of realize that a lot of the numbers are pretty similar and in some cases worse this year than they were last year points allowed last year Oklahoma through three games had only allowed one more point than this year on average how about yards per play you'd think that this year's team allowed fewer yards per play probably no last year's team at this point had allowed fewer yards per play 5.4 versus 5.3 and then you get to the havoc numbers sacks even nine this year nine last year then that tackles for loss number that we were talking about earlier more than Alabama this year 22 to 16 but you said 30 earlier it was 28 28 tackles for loss for Oklahoma through three games last season I did not remember that and I was horrified Completely when I found that defense. number out it was a yeah. totally different defense in the first really the first two games of the season um then it turned out to be which uh yeah, it kind of seems like it started to to take a turn for the worse, right, when they went over into Big 12 play. And, of course, there was the debacle against Army, but, you know, they just, they clearly didn't try in the in the week leading up to that one. So, 
you know. Yeah, yeah I, I, I kind of I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think it's completely it, it's completely fair to say pump the brakes, everybody. But at the same time, I could easily say you know different year, totally different team. Whatever happened in the first three games last year literally means nothing whatsoever. Okay, so what part of the defense? I'm I'm still just blown away that they had so many tackles for loss last season because they weren't really. I guess. I was going to say they weren't going for tackles for loss, but compared to the new defense, they really weren't because they weren't having uh, – they didn't have the defensive linemen playing so aggressively like they are now. So I, I just – man, it blows my mind. I mean, even against Army, they had five tackles for loss. Baylor, they had six tackles for loss. Then after that, you know, Texas wasn't good. They only had three. Then the rest of the season – but even against Kansas State and Texas Tech, they had seven and seven. So they were still getting behind – uh, getting players behind the line of scrimmage at decent times last year, even after Ruffin McNeil took over. I'm hoping that the tackles for loss numbers are more than last season, obviously, but man, I I don't know. I mean, it's two different seasons, I know, and, and it's it's more of one of those things where we compare because it's easy to compare one year to the next. But I think it's just a reminder that we should probably wait Another game, because we were kind of excited that we got through the UCLA game feeling pretty good, but Big 12 play hasn't started yet, so maybe the next hurdle is Big 12 play beginning. How about that with Texas Tech in a week and a half? I think that's fair, too, and also we don't really know if we're going to get a a great picture against Texas Tech because it's looking like Alan Bowman is not going to be playing. It's going to be Jet Duffy. He's still their backup, right? I I, I don't know. No, I'm, I'm... I, I'm I'm fairly certain it is. I'm not like I'm 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 not really joking around. I'm just, <laughs> but yeah. So it's gonna be. Uh, I don't think Texas Tech is gonna come out and they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna throw it 55 times like they had been doing with Alan Bowman. I, I think it's gonna be a different offense with with Jet Duffy. So, um, and obviously an offense I think that probably is not gonna have as high of a ceiling. So I think even if OU's defense does perform well in that game, it's going to be pretty easy for a lot of people to say, yeah, but. And that might be fair coming into it because because really, actually, if you look at the numbers, uh, Texas Tech, even with Alan Bowman, it's not like they were going up and down the field. I think in their uh, they averaged like close to eight yards per play against an FCS team in game one, but they averaged, I think, under six yards per play against UTEP. And then they did it again against Arizona. So Texas Tech's offense had really hasn't been a juggernaut either. And I want to correct myself real fast because if anybody listened to the last podcast pretty deep into it, I claim that Alan Bowman was injured and missed the second half of the game. He actually didn't. He played. So I'm an idiot. Jeez, man, I, is that I, I can't remember. Did he did he play with like that collapsed lung last year? No, there's no way he could have. But the gee, collapsed t- lung? Yeah, tough dude. Jeez, like his, I think he played a little bit with it. Maybe maybe a series or two in one of the games, or maybe he finished off a series. I can't yeah. remember. Jeez, man, because what I especially with like a collarbone or shoulder or shoulder injury of what he has, I can't like throwing the ball with the torque and what and whatnot. That has got to be really painful. Ugh. You know, I don't think they're is going to be an asterisk no matter what happens after this Tech game in a week and a half, which we'll have plenty of time to talk about it. But it's a Big 12 team. Matt Wells is an offensive guy. He knows how to move the football. And they're going to have a week to pre- an extra week to prepare for Oklahoma. So if Oklahoma's defense 
fares, fares pretty well against Texas Tech, I'm going to be incredibly happy with it because I still think Texas Tech is a dangerous team, and any Big 12 team, honestly, is dangerous against an Oklahoma defense that's been terrible. I mean, Kansas put up 40. Need we say more? Yeah, so. I mean, hey, and it, based off what we've seen from Houston so far, this Texas Tech offense probably still going to be the stiffest challenge that they're going to face so far. I mean, certainly up front. Texas Tech has does have one of the more experienced offensive lines in the Big 12, and they returned everybody. So this is, I mean, if if anything, it's going to be a good test for for OU's front. I don't think they gave up a sack against Arizona last week at all. All right, so let's continue talking about the defense. I was there on Monday for Lincoln Riley's availability, Alex Grinch's availability. Also talked to Ronnie Perkins and Patrick Fields and Trey Brown and Kenneth Murray and some of the defensive guys. So it was a it was another bye week uh, availability. Got a couple sound bites to play. And I was happy to be there when Alex Grinch is around because we've talked about this a couple times on the podcast. I've been tracking the cornerbacks for Oklahoma Trey Brown, Parnell Motley, Jaden Davis, whoever's in there, Jordan Parker at sometimes, first couple games. And almost every single play, you're seeing at least one of those players, if not two of them, up near the line of scrimmage, challenging their opposing receivers and so I wanted to ask Alex Grinch why is that is that just one of the principles you have in your defense and is it just a coincidence that this is one of the things that you like to do defensively and also I don't recall any sort of over-the-top big pass plays given up on the corners this season deep getting beat like that do you Grant no I don't at all I mean it's three games I get it and we haven't seen elite throwing offenses by any stretch of the imagination but Houston's got some players and they didn't really want to go deep and they tried it once or twice and, and they failed. took a few shots took yeah. a few shots but most of they're kind of settled with the underneath stuff which I think we saw a lot more of that too against Washington State that's kind of their offense I don't know De'Eric King's almost kind of hesitant to throw the ball down the field and push it that's a whole other story so anyways I asked Alex Grinch about that and uh here's his uh, his answer about corners playing up near the line of scrimmage almost every single snap. When you're trying to play aggressive coverage, I mean, that, that, that's that's number one. And you can play aggressive coverage from off. You can play aggressive coverage getting closer to a receiver. Um, but but so much of that, you know, is, is tied into that. But certainly you want to be aggressive. It's smart aggression, making sure that you're playing top down. You know, I give credit to Coach Manning in the, in the, in the corner room uh, in, in terms of what they've done uh, through the first couple weeks. You know, the, you know the, you're always one play away. I mean, that's, that's the, the, the life of a defensive back. And so uh, it's amazing when you don't have technique and you don't use fundamentals. Again, none of it. You're never immune to it. You're not working for immunity. It doesn't exist in this game. Uh, but you know, from a technique fundamental standpoint, I think they've uh, uh, improved immensely since spring. Um, and it's something that uh, still there's there's a lot of room for improvement there from a technique standpoint. Um, and, and we know we'll, we'll be challenged over time. And, and uh, you know, well, they chose to be corners, and so there's, that's a uh, tough skill set and a tough position. And uh, um, but uh, they're working towards uh, uh, improving every day. And so. All right, Grant, so kind of a long answer there from Alex Grinch, but you can tell, yeah, it's just playing aggressive, aggressive defense, and that's not just the defensive line. It extends to the secondary as well. And one of the the biggest takeaways for me during that that soundbite, the, uh, the amount the corners have improved since the spring. When did Alex Grinch take over? In the spring, in January. And I would not be surprised if he was just aghast with the technique and 
the ball skills of his secondary players in the spring. And he made a point to say, yeah, the, the improvement since the spring is, is, is evident. And through three games this year, Grant, I mean, Parnell Motley, I saw a statistic from Pro Football Focus, I think, on Tuesday about how, I mean, they always kind of have very specific statistics, but it's like maybe ball distance or balls traveled through the air or something like that. Parnell Motley's giving up the fewest yards in the entire nation. I think it was yards per route defended or something like that. And it was, it's like 0.07 yards per route defended or something. Here we go. I got it up here now. Fewest yards per cover snap. Minimum 60 coverage snaps. And Parnell Motley's allowing 0.07 yards per cover snap, which is the fewest in the entire country. And we've seen Jaden Davis flash. We've seen Trey Brown in pass coverage look very good. He had an interception against UCLA. Tackling with him. We can talk about it a little bit later. He's very disappointed in himself and the way he's tackled so far. But the point is, man, the cornerbacks right now for Oklahoma look like different players. And we've seen Motley flash the last couple of seasons, but he's also been a pretty inconsistent player. He's been incredibly consistent so far through three games. And players and quarterbacks are very infrequently trying to throw his way. And when they do, he's not giving up anything. That's so impressive. And Alex Grinch mentioned it. Roy Manning deserves a bunch of this credit because – I know he only had, I think, one year under his belt as a cornerbacks coach, and he was a linebacker when he played, and there was some uneasiness maybe when the Sooners van, of the Sooners fan base with, does this guy really know what he's doing? But I think he's proven that he's made these guys look a lot better, and the cornerbacks right now on the defense is one of the strongest positions on this roster. Yeah, I mean, especially with the emergence of Jaden Davis, it – it really does feel like that they just have three really strong options there right now. And how huge would it be for this team if Parnell Motley can continue being a lockdown guy like this into Big 12 play? I mean, would change the fortunes of this defense around immeasurably. Would be a huge thing. And, you know, one of the cool things about it is I think we're going to get a pretty good idea of, of where that is here in a couple weeks because uh, Texas Tech does have a pretty, pretty good receiver, uh, Vasher, TJ Vasher. And I, I wonder if that'll be a situation where, where Motley kind of shadows him or if they'll, if they'll stay on one side or the other. But uh, I think that'll be his first really good test. I'm excited to see that one happen. And so while the corners have looked very good, move on to the safeties. And talking to Patrick Fields a little bit on Monday, I was asking him about defending the tight end against UCLA up the seam. And you know, I was... I don't have this sound for this particular question, but I was just kind of curious, you know, hey, can you kind of describe what it's like knowing, you know, I, hey, I don't know what coverage you're playing, but knowing that you're out there kind of on an island, you have to be able to come up and play the run if necessary, but also play the pass, and you got a tight end kind of coming towards you, you know, what's it like playing that? And he kind of explained some of the plays where he you know, maybe got too aggressive on one, gave up a play here and there. But then I, I also asked him after that because he, he said, yeah, I can work on it and get better, things like that. And I, I, you know, I wanted to find out, hey, you know, is it nice to see this kind of happen early in the year? You got that on film. You can kind of study it. You kind of know what to expect, especially because Big 12 plays coming up and you're going to face a lot more explosive offenses that want to try to spread the field and beat you deep. And here's Patrick Fields on that topic. 
I mean, I, I think it's good, you know, whenever, you know, you go into a game, it, it's not good to mess up, but, it, you know, it's good to, you know, get those out the way early in the year so you know what you need to attack and practice, what you need to overemphasize. Because sometimes, you know, when you're into the middle of the week and you're game plan for a certain opponent, there may not be an, an overemphasis on one particular thing against another, so you may not think about that one particular thing as much. So, you know, it's, a great, it's good to, you know, know I need to work on that. That's Patrick Fields, and he's going to be working on his, his man – and his coverage skills, which is incredibly important as a safety. Same thing with Trey Brown. Uh, he uh, didn't have a time to pull this sound, but Trey Brown, I asked him about corners playing up, you know, what was it like? What's the adjustment been like for him playing that way? And, and you could tell he really enjoys it. He likes getting after him, challenging receivers. He wants to play a lot of man. He wants to follow receivers around, get jams on him, reroute them. He, he did that, got an interception last week. So the defensive backs, they want to play aggressive, especially at cornerback and Alex Grinch and Roy Manning are allowing them to do that. And so far through three games, at least on the outside, it's looking really good. But again, Patrick Fields, Larian Turner, yell the safeties, the depth there is just not great. And uh, that's certainly a position to kind of keep our eyes on as Big 12 play continues, because in a defense where it seems like every single position group is subbing players in and out and getting a lot of reps, both safety, strong safety, free safety. It's basically just Patrick Fields and Delarian Turner Yell and not a whole lot of other players getting snaps, which I know Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley both don't want that. They want more players mixing in and out to keep people fresh and also to get more competition out there, Grant. And so I wonder if that also means that the freshmen are just are kind of far away at that position as well, too. Because we haven't seen I don't sure. think we've seen any of Jamal Morris or anything like that. We haven't really seen any Jeremiah Cradell. Uh, Woody Washington, sure. we we saw. I mean, we we saw those guys a little bit in the first couple games, I think. But and Woody Washington was originally a corner, and they yeah, moved him, yeah. him to the back end. So which is kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, that's obviously going to be the concern on the defense going forward until we get to Big Twelve play and they and something else is exposed. Which I mean, hey, in Big Twelve play, it certainly may happen. So, um. Yeah, it's something to monitor. At least they have a they have a bye week here coming up. This is a time to get better. And hey, Mike Stoops isn't here anymore. I think we got really used to over the course of the season. Hey, how the defense plays, that's just how it is. They're going to have to grit through it. I don't know if they're going to be able to get that much better. I think just with with the new coaching staff here that it does renew that hope a little bit that hey, you know, they are allowed to get better over the course of the season. And uh that certainly needs to happen at the safety position because they got some. They they certainly have some tests coming up, and um, mostly looking at Texas here in a few weeks. We had criticized Texas for not, you know, not really having a lot of explosive plays last year. They kind of nickel and dimed you down the field. That hasn't been the case this season. They've been able to throw it downfield and get over the top of defenses this year, and uh, they've been putting guys in the slot and running go routes, and they're absolutely going to challenge the two safeties. So, needs to be cleaned up. And speaking of the two safeties, just going over my notes of the Alex Grinch availability, he said that he thinks Patrick Fields and DTY have played some good football, but he also said they're probably playing too much football and they need to continue developing that depth. And Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, all the players subbing in and out on defense, that's exactly what the plan was all along. And Lincoln Riley talked about this on Monday. He said that he doesn't want to get to the point where they're married to playing a guy or multiple players like 90 snaps a game because he said in the past that's hurt them. He wants to keep players fresh. And immediately I think back to a ton of games last year, especially the Army game, where I think they played 100 snaps. 
and you saw guys like Kenneth Murray and basically everyone on that team that just they're like the walking wounded afterwards and you go, you go to the Baylor game and Baylor ran a bunch of plays like 90 something almost 100 plays too and so you're not seeing that as much this season you're getting a lot more players work and and you're getting the and the benefit of that is the competition because players want to get out there and they want to prove that they belong in the field but also you get the benefit of players that are out there and they're fresh and they'll make more plays if they're not as tired so I like that that's that's something that Lincoln Riley has acknowledged that yeah I mean that's that's the plan I mean you're not just kind of seeing that randomly this is what you're gonna see and this is what we want to see and they've been they've been so aggressive with their subs at, you know at the other levels of the defense as well and just not at safety and I think that's just an obvious tip-off that they're just not comfortable with what's behind there yep and Robert Barnes, man, I, I so actually I, I noticed this Lee on the rewatch after uh, Robert Barnes finally did get into the game pretty late into the fourth quarter on Saturday night. After that Ryan Jones interception, pretty much the entire defense mobbed Ryan Jones. Robert Barnes was behind everyone and just walked off the field. Mm. And yeah, like, that's not and, a good and look. might yeah, might be. Of course, it's possible. I'm reading too much into that, but like, ah, that's not a great sign. Doesn't I mean? Not a lot of well, enthusiasm there. No, I, I mean, the easy thing to say is that he's just disappointed in his workload, and, and he's a guy, he's a f- five-star player and at least one service, and he's had injuries, and for whatever reason, he's just not, this is not clicking for him, obviously. Sure. If, if it was, he'd be getting the reps. And, sure, it's understandable as a human yeah. emotion, for sure. Um, just, yeah, I, I'm more of just thinking, ah, maybe it's maybe that is just another kind of like a, a body language sign that... Uh, I don't know. Maybe Robert Barnes is not necessarily buying in, but that's I, that's obviously just that's speculation on my part. But just didn't look great. Well, another thing I just remember after the South Dakota game too, being down on the field, and I can't speak to the Houston game or even the UCLA game, but the South Dakota game, you know, the game ends and everyone runs onto the field and the handshake happens and everyone's kind of just hanging out. Man, I I'll tell you. I, first person I see just kind of jogging just to the tunnel by himself was Robert Barnes I mean not staying back to hang out and I I mean that could mean a lot of different things but he was the only one I saw do that so that kind of goes along with the the lack of enthusiasm on the interception things like that so the guy's probably incredibly disappointed right now that he's not getting a lot of playing time and again yeah we all want to play if we're out there we want to play and sometimes it's tough to to kind of fake it you know if 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 you're not feeling it it's but again it's it's all just speculation we don't know he hasn't talked to the media uh probably since man i don't think he's talked to the media since the season began i mean he hasn't been playing much so i don't know why he would have but uh so yeah anyways that's something to to watch out for because remember there was a time there was a time last to develop yeah there was a time last season lee where it kind of felt like robert barnes was playing the best out of anyone in the secondary and yeah, I, I like Robert Barnes, man. I liked him a lot. I whiff big time on on him starting as a nickel. But his size and his body type is 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 like exactly what you need in the Big Twelve, especially to play that dime defense. Because he's so big that he's he's like the size of an undersized linebacker in some yeah. defenses. And if you you put him out on the field, he's a guy who can come into the box and can also. You know, can also cover a little bit, so it is. It's it's pretty disappointing that he it can hasn't, mix it up. He can yeah. tackle. He wants. He gets his nose in there, and, and so that's just that style of players is invaluable in the Big Twelve. And so 
the fact that he's not getting on the field, that's got to be a sign because that would be a massive asset. He's exactly the body type they need to field that position. So, um, I don't yeah, know. I, 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 I hope it's something that's figured out. And if you just, just to compare and contrast it, the other guy who is getting run in the twos is Justin Broyles, and he, he doesn't lack any sort of enthusiasm whatsoever. Now, he was out there and, and fired mm-hmm. up and, you know, so. Yeah, and he was at the media availability on Monday, so there, he's out talking to the media now, too, after he had a definitely one nice play, pass breakup on fourth down to get Oklahoma off the field, and so he's, he's starting to kind of get into more of a groove, it would seem, and, I mean, if he comes along, obviously that, that'll help develop that depth, that safety. And also, too, I like that Alex Grinch, when he's asked about the safeties, he first thing he always says is like, well, you know, I coach the safeties, so that's on me. First of all, this is on me. Because, I mean, he's a defensive coordinator, but he's also the safeties coach. And so he's taking credit. Uh, not credit, that's not the right. He's, he's taking uh, responsibility for that position group and that lack of depth. He is, uh, man, that's probably one of the, it might be his, his main thing right now is figuring this out. Because, like you said, you made a good point. The fact that every other level of the defense is, having no problem subbing players in and out, but yet the safety positions, it's basically fields and DTY. I think that's that's telling us a lot right there. That yeah, the, they're and, not, and they're not you confident. know what? A lot of this is probably going to be corrected through recruiting as well, and they, they, they got guys coming in on this next class that, that Alex Grinch has recruited and are his guys, so um, we'll see. Yeah, it's, it's just disappointing that a lot of these guys, you know, in the safety room who – really pretty highly touted and hasn't hasn't necessarily worked out but uh still a lot of time to go the the you know um they might put it together all right before we move over to the offense and discuss i have a couple things i want to talk about offensively but the last thing i don't have this sound but uh if you go to the west of everest facebook page I posted the story I did Monday that had this soundbite from Alex Grinch. But did you see the story I did, Grant, where Alex Grinch talks about how he's a TFL freak? Yeah, I saw it. So when you see your defensive coordinator talk like that and talk about how, hey, he sees plays that look like they could be one or two yard loss, but they end up being a no gain. It just it drives him nuts and he gets frustrated. Don't you love it when the defensive coordinator sounds like he's a fan? Yeah, it's awesome. Sometimes. I mean, obviously, you don't want him to be super emotional, but every once in a while... That stuff sounds good. You, it's almost like your eye or anybody else watching Oklahoma is saying would say the same exact thing. And I share his frustration. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's been a thing for, and you know what? It probably happens to other teams just as much. But God, I just feel like OU just they miss out on so many tackles behind the line of scrimmage by just a hair, by just like the the their fingertips. <laughs> Well, hopefully that develops throughout the season. Let's go to the offense, and let's see. Quick injury update, TJ Pledger. Obviously, he's uh, would be the fourth running back right now. He still has that hand thing. Lincoln Riley said the timetable for Pledger. Let me see if I can find my notes. He says it's open-ended right now. It's kind of week-to-week. He said that the Texas Tech game, though, is probably he said maybe a long shot, but we're getting pretty close to him, so don't expect Pledger back by Texas Tech. I mean, it was uh, he had surgery on his his hand, so who knows? Uh, I will say this though, and this is me reading between the lines a little bit. This is a running back group that we've praised a lot. The depth is there, and you kind of joked like, "Oh my gosh!" Like we're down to just four now because Pledger's out, and so with the four, it's it's Brooks, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, Sermon, obviously, and uh, Marcus Major. 
But I will say on Monday when Lincoln Riley was talking about TJ Pledger in the running back room, he did say that, hey, once Pledger gets back, we'll, we'll have four really good running backs in that room. He said the number four. He didn't say five. So reading between the lines, it makes you kind of think that a player like Marcus Major might be falling behind a little bit. Or they're just, or they're just planning on redshirting him. Or that There's too. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Which, I mean, they can still... Yeah, that's a good point. Because they're not going to obviously retro any, any of those other guys. So In fact, I'd yeah. say that's, a, that's an obvious tell that they are, they are certainly redshirting him. Which is what everyone expected anyway. That's a good point. I guess with the new redshirt rule, I was thinking that he could still be viable. But I suppose, why would you put him in, in these random games if you don't need him if you're going to redshirt him? So, yeah, you made a, that's a good point. I've kind of changed my mind now. And you it's know not what? Really between the uh, reading between the lines and, and going and going over to pleasure I mean he is a, he's a different type of back as the other th- of the other three guys they have so um, he's more of a guy that I, I think you're kind of fits that little scat back catch the ball out of the backfield role that everybody you know really likes in their offenses these days so that's probably a role he's going to serve when he comes back how big of a role that's going to be probably not a massive one but that could be just another curveball that they throw at that other defenses. Oh yeah, no, that's he's he's certainly a different kind of player than the other three. They're all unique in their own way, which is it was just kind of cool. H back. I asked Lincoln Riley about the H back position. Obviously, Jeremiah Hall, Braden Willis. Seems like Hall has more of a stranglehold on that spot right now. He's flashed a lot more. Of course, you know again, Willis almost had a touchdown catch against UCLA, but it's a nice defensive play. Uh, pretty standard, pretty standard answer, Lincoln. Lincoln gave me he said that uh it's been competitive there you know each guy's made some plays each guy's left some plays out there but the thing that stood out to me the most when he was talking about it that is obvious but it's good to hear the head coach say it and it makes me kind of think oh yeah that's a good point is that you know it's they're setting up a little bit better right now at at that position in the past because the last couple of years it's been all Carson Meyer last year before that was all Dimitri Flowers but he said now you got two guys rotating you can keep each other more fresh so he likes that he likes that there's a there's a the dynamic uh, duo, that's not the right way to say it, but he likes that there's more than one player that he can trust at that H-back spot, which, again, I hadn't thought much of, but, yeah, it's a good point, because especially that fits into their culture right now of trying to get as many players on the field and keeping p- players as fresh as possible. And I think that we're going to see them on the field at the same time a lot more as well once we get into Big 12 play. I kind of have an inkling that they're going to go heavy set quite a bit during conference play to leverage Jalen Hurts' ability with his legs and Trey Sermon and whatnot. Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them on the field together a lot coming up here. And I'm going to double down on my random thought from this summer, especially now that we've decided or you pointed out that, yeah, they're probably going to redshirt Marcus Major, so he's not a guy that they're going to give a big role because they don't want to make they want to make sure he doesn't go over the four-game limit if anything happens and they need even more depth at running back I still think they can make Jeremiah Hall some sort of a running back and they still have Braden Willis play the H-back role and they can use him in that kind of role I just have this he, he looks like a guy that that can do that if they need him like in an emergency situation and they gave him a carry too against UCLA uh, so uh, yeah I hope it doesn't come to that obviously but yeah. I just he's got the talent he's yeah, good two two years ago they gave Dimitri Flowers like 20 carries at Iowa State on a Thursday night so uh, yeah, they're willing that. to do stuff like that for sure. That was right before I started my job at News 9 in Oklahoma City. Oh, man. How time flies. Uh, offensively, often, offensive line, again, better. After watching back the film, Lincoln Riley said, yep, offensive line was good. You can tell at times 
that uh, they're still trying to figure some things out. They're young, but also uh, Riley added that sometimes that that we look damn good. And that's right. And you look at some of the numbers, rushing, yardage-wise, receiving, and through three games, Oklahoma has exceeded its yardage total on average than it did last year at this time. And granted, you throw the Iowa State game there, though, that is a big uh, asterisk because Iowa State's defense is really good. But uh, the Oklahoma offense so far has, has been incredible. Anything else you want to touch on offensively? I mean, we haven't talked about Jalen Hurts, but I just don't see the point. He's really good right now. I don't, I don't know what else to talk about when it comes to him. Anybody, uh, skill position guys, the offensive line, anything that you want to get off your chest? Not really, no. I, I just, the offense is great. Um, it, it's crazy how, and man, if you remember after the South Dakota game, I was pretty down on the offensive line. Thought they had taken a step back. And I just, I thought they looked really good against UCLA. They, I, a lot of the stuff I was concerned about coming out of South Dakota, it seemed like they, they did not struggle with against UCLA. Um, and, it's it's crazy, you know, what happens and what the offensive line looks like when Eric Swenson has a really solid game and when Marquise Hayes is in there. I mean, they they look like a dominating unit. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly they flash that that ability to dominate that offensive lines of the past have. And it's even more impressive because Lincoln Riley and Bill Biedenboe said this at separate times that they played so well against UCLA's front, which they kept talking about how it's one of the bigger fronts they've seen or, or may see all season long, size-wise. So something to think about as well. So yeah, good job un- by the offensive line. Yeah, unlikely to see a bigger front in the Big 12. Um, I know Ray Lima's pretty big on the inside at, at Iowa State, but they're they're pretty undersized at defensive end. So I don't – yeah, typically in the Big 12, you're going to see kind of undersized, more quicker defensive lines. So – and I mean that's UCLA is not the best front that they're going to see this year. They they still Iowa State is better, Texas is better, et cetera. But um, Kansas State's probably better. Um, but still, I mean, a good they played well. They played well against the best front they've seen so far this year, and certainly not a bad front. All right, before we finish up the Oklahoma discussion, this kind of came up, and I saw some tweets about strength of schedule when it comes to Oklahoma and I was trying to find some rankings it's tough to find strength of schedule numbers I found a Sagarin ranking which I guess it's there and then also there's a website called realtimerpi.com which it's it's football not basketball but just for the sake of discussion uh, Oklahoma's strength of schedule is pretty low so we'll start the question I guess I, I want to p- post to you is should we be concerned about Oklahoma's strength of schedule so far? Like they've played well defensively for the most part. The offense obviously is blowing people's doors off, but have they really played anybody yet? The Sagarin rankings have Oklahoma's schedule at 88 in the nation, and then this RealTimeRPI.com, which includes FCS teams, so it's got everybody. So it takes into account even you know South Dakota. Oklahoma played South Dakota. It's got Oklahoma's schedule ranked 217th out of all of FBS and FCS football. So I, I'll start. I mean, I am a bit concerned. I'm concerned that maybe Oklahoma just hasn't seen much resistance at all. I think the offense obviously is really good. The offense is going to be good. But, man, I, offensively, I'm not still not sure how good Houston's going to be or is. Uh, they took a halftime lead. Uh, they had a halftime lead over Washington State, and then – Washington State must have adjusted at halftime because they couldn't do much at all after the break. 
So that offense is still a work in progress under Daniel Holgerson. Obviously, South Dakota's an FCS team. Not a good FCS team. 0-3 now. I did see F- they put up like 53 points or 52 points last week against, uh, who do they play? Uh, Houston Baptist. <laughs> you know, but, you know, whatever. Like, maybe they got it. Maybe Oklahoma allowed them to get into a bit of a groove, but they still lost the game. And then, obviously, UCLA's offense is just a, a dumpster fire right now. So, Oklahoma hasn't been challenged yet, Grant. So, I... Are you concerned at all with uh, this this strength of schedule ranking or just the fact that Oklahoma really hasn't played anybody yet? I don't know if concerned is the right word, but I mean, yeah, their schedule has been has been pretty cream puff so far. Um, honestly, it's kind of kind of nice for a change. It's in the playoff era. It honestly it doesn't make any sense to play to play tough non conference games at all. So because um, you can just lose them. But I you just lose them. Yeah. And like you're not I mean there's precedent you're not you're not punished for playing an easy or for for playing an easy non-conference schedule so um yeah I mean I I think it's fair to be skeptical just because they haven't particularly been challenged yet and I don't I'm not sure we know exactly what Houston is yet. Um yeah, they did struggle against Prairie View which is a big red flag, but Washington State is a good team and Houston did move the ball pretty darn well against wazoo in the first half of that game especially on the ground they were getting chunk plays you know every other play it seemed like in that uh in the first half of that game so uh yeah i and really though i don't i'm not sure if texas tech is going to be really a massive challenge either i right now i think texas tech is looking like really one of the worst teams in the conference and that's that's speaking relatively um, and then of course they, they go and play Kansas and I know they just blew out Boston college on the road, but it's still Kansas. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's great. I mean, we don't, we don't know what's going to go on. We don't know what's going to happen with this team until Texas. And that's, that's okay. It's a lot of seasons shake out that way. I, uh, the first, the first one that comes to mind in that, uh, 2013, they started the year five and zero, went into Dallas against a Texas team that I think only had two wins and they got run off the field. The exact same thing happened in 2015. Um, so yeah, this looks like it's going to be another one of those seasons where what whatever happens in Dallas is going to be kind of the the pivot point of the season, or when we're going to know exactly, you know, or not exactly, but when we find out the most about this team. And that's that's okay. The Big Twelve is not it's not particularly strong this year, despite despite the the good week that they had last last week. Little context too for this realtimerpi.com website as far as other top team strength of schedules. You look at Georgia. Georgia is 215th, so basically right around Oklahoma's ranking. Even Alabama is in the hundreds, 136. Clemson, 111. And Clemson's even played AM, which is a highly ranked team. You go down to look at LSU, who obviously played Texas, highly ranked team. LSU's only 153rd strength of schedule and then Penn State's a top 10 team now wait no I guess these rankings I'm looking at aren't necessarily uh they're their own they're oh this is like this own website's power rankings got it but uh you know Auburn in the top 10 has the best strength of schedule they're 25 I got that Oregon game and uh, who else did Auburn play I they played a decent team Tulane Tulane yeah Tulane's okay yeah yeah that's who Houston plays this uh this week that'll be kind of interesting because you got, you know, a good measuring stick for Houston. That's that's one I'm probably going to be paying paying attention to a little bit. Like if Houston gets run off the field by Tulane, ugh, 
Maybe <laughs> kind of a big red flag, maybe. All right, this is the time of the show where normally we talk about the Big 12 and kind of the national college football scene and make some picks, but I thought we'd play a a game this day uh, this time around to kind of switch things up a little bit because Oklahoma's on a bye week. And I'm not sure how this game's going to go. There's not really any sort of direction to it, but here's the premise. I know Grant's watched more college football so far this year than I have. I was dialed in week one because I uh, that Saturday I was actually off of work, so I was able to watch all day without having to work but the past few weeks I've had to work and uh, I haven't had as much time to go back and rewatch a whole lot of stuff so especially this past week I- I've watched OU play and that's really it I haven't seen any other game I watched all- most of the-, the early game the 11 a.m. kicks I saw a decent amount so like K-State that K-State Mississippi State game I saw a good amount so a couple of those other early, early 11 a.m. kicks but for the most part I haven't seen a whole lot so this is what we're going to do I'll throw out some teams, maybe in the top 25, that I have some some kind of feelings on, some some gut feelings on, and I'll tell and I'll ask Grant if I'm right or wrong about my feelings. So, for example, I'll say something like Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame's two and zero. I I think they're Notre Dame. I they they got a good quarterback. Uh, I I did see some at Louisville game though. I wasn't that impressed by that sometimes, but Notre Dame. Eh, Typical Notre Dame team, which is kind of a generic take. And then Grant will tell me whether or not my take is right or wrong or something else. I'm not going to use Notre Dame, by the way, as an example, because I don't have any thoughts or feelings on that team at all yet. Yeah, they've so only played two games anyway. We don't we don't know anything about Notre Dame. All right. So let's see here. And this is going to be totally off the cuff for you, Grant, because you have no idea where I'm going with this. You know, let's start at the very top. Clemson. And I've seen Clemson pretty much all the game against Georgia Tech. So this might not be a good one to start with, off with Arf with Batesley because I actually have seen a lot of Clemson. I saw all the A&M game. Didn't see any of the Syracuse game, though. Didn't see one snap of that game. Clemson. To me, Clemson, obviously really good. Best team in the nation, probably, because their schedule is going to be cake the rest of the way. However, Clemson's offense what I've seen from Clemson's offense, I'm not all that impressed with Clemson's offense. It seems like it's not all that creative. It's a lot of Trevor Lawrence kind of just throwing balls up to his five-star guys. And then Travis Etienne, who I think I shortchanged early on in the summer. He's a pretty good player, big-bodied guy, explosive player. And just kind of turning and handing it to him and letting uh, basically their players out-talent and outclass the opposing team, which is kind of how they beat Alabama in the national championship last year in a lot of ways, and Bama played its worst game ever. So Clemson, I like Clemson a lot. The defense looks really good, but the offense, a lot left to be, de- a lot left to be kind of determined, I think, in my eyes. Is any part of my take on Clemson accurate? Yeah, I think you're absolutely dead on to be, to be kind of weary of Clemson's offense so far. And just because, just look at the results. Trevor Lawrence has not been particularly good. Uh, they've had, there were just too many instances, especially in the Texas A&M game where they bogged down and the same thing happened against Syracuse against the Syracuse offense that, you know, couldn't really pick up a first down against Clemson. Clemson had a lot of possessions in that game and they punted a lot in that game. So, um, but I, you know, I was texting back and forth with you earlier this week though. And I'm just, I, I, I'm obviously that national championship game is way too fresh in my mind to just say, yeah, Clemson's offense is is off. They're they're bad. They're not. They're obviously not bad. Um, 
I propose this to you, Lee. Do you think Clemson is 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 intentionally just going really vanilla because that they know that nobody can even challenge them at all on their schedule, and they're just going to save all of the the innovation stuff for the playoff? Like, is that is that an incredibly outlandish thought? No, it's really not because. Gosh, they're so much better than everybody in the ACC, and they don't need to do anything over the top, and they can get away with, you know, a two or three score W later on in the year against a team like, let's say, I don't know, North Carolina or Boston College, or I'm, I'm don't even know what their schedule looks like to be honest with you, but or Virginia Tech, whatever. I mean, they can because they can just show up and line it up, run their plays, and beat those teams. So that's yeah. not an outlandish thought at all. It's actually, gosh, that. It's pretty tricky, and it, I kind of hate it. Yeah, and you know what? Hey, based off everything that we've seen so far this year, and granted, it's only been three weeks, um, but of of kind of of Alabama and Clemson, I think it's obviously Clemson that looks the most vulnerable right now, just because they do look a little out of sync on offense. You know, when T. Higgins and Justin Ross are not making superhuman, amazing, amazingly athletic plays, uh, which they've done seemingly in every game so far. But, I mean, Lee, listen to this schedule. This is, and I, I don't want to be too hyperbolic here, which, you know, of course I would never do that. But um, <laughs> this, this really is one of the lightest schedules for a, a team that is supposed to win a national championship or compete for a national championship that I've ever seen. So, Lee, this week they play Charlotte, which is a new FBS team, or this is like their second or third season at FBS. And then here's, here's the remaining schedule. At UNC, at home against Florida State, at Louisville, at home against Boston College, at home against Wofford, on the road against North Carolina State, at home against Wake Forest, and then they end the season on the road at South Carolina. Boy, I mean, there's not a ranked team in that bunch. Not a ranked team, and I don't think they're the only one that I think even has a prayer of being ranked at any point of the season when they play is Wake Forest. And um, you see, I mean, NC State just got just got you know lost by three scores to West Virginia, so that doesn't really look that you know formidable. I think their obvious toughest game left on the schedule is at South Carolina, and South Carolina is, I mean, they they'll be lucky if they win five games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you think North Carolina and you know at North Carolina can do anything to them with Mac Brown? Maybe, maybe. But I, I really don't know. I mean, UNC has been really inconsistent on offense. I did watch that entire UNC-Wake Forest game last Friday night. That was kind of a sneaky, fun uh, Friday night game, by the way. Um, North Carolina was just totally listless on offense about the first two and a half quarters of that game. And then their last five, six drives, they really, I mean, they were moving it up and down the field. So, you know, maybe there's some potential there, but I, I, I doubt it. It's just, yeah, the the skill and the talent that Clemson has. I mean, they they really can just kind of show up and yawn through every single game. Now, will that hurt them come playoff time? Maybe, but I don't know. Their schedule was pretty freaking easy last year too, and they showed up and they were just downright dominant in the playoffs. So, all right, let's go to another team. Let's see which team would be fun to talk about. Man, all right, so. I've only seen this team play one and a half game, one and a quarter of a game, and that's LSU. And obviously, the one game was Texas. 
LSU to me looks like a team that has an offense, can move the ball, which is very bizarre. But uh, defensively, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Texas just uh, is a Big 12 team with a good offense, and that's why LSU's defense didn't look all that great in that game. Outside of that game, LSU hasn't really played anybody, and they have, they've given up basically nothing. But uh, LSU, I've, I've seen some SEC homers thinking that LSU may be like number one team in the country type uh, territory right now, which I mean, you can make those arguments based on the win over Texas. But uh, LSU, I, it's a team, I think, that has a good offense randomly, but the defense may not be as good as normal LSU defenses. Am I right at all about any of that take? I think, yeah, maybe. And I think a lot of that is just going off because, because the Texas offense did have quite a bit of success against them. And they have struggled a little bit with their pass rush, which was I think a lot of people thought was going to be a, a big strength of their team, um, but really hasn't to this point. They they only got to Ellinger once in that game, and um, haven't they've played Georgia Southern and uh, in Northwestern State in the other games, and really haven't gotten to the quarterback a lot. So that could be an issue for them, especially especially because you know they're especially in their division Alabama is their main rival and you know Alabama is going to is going to throw it around with Tua. I mean that's that is their offense this year. Alabama's kind of struggling to run the ball a little bit. Um but no, I this is just weird bizarro twilight zone though, but LSU's offense is from what I've seen is freaking awesome. It's really good. Like they I mean they have a really good drop back passing game. They can't really run the ball either, but I mean Joe Burrow and those three receivers. That's I mean that's really formidable. They're they're gonna LSU is gonna be really difficult to beat this season just because of that. I mean they're they're clicking, and um, yeah, I think I think LSU is kind of like the the 2017 Georgia of this season. Um, have have a lot of potential, and then they just sort of burst onto the scene and start killing everybody. Um, but obviously they, they have a little bit more of, a, of, of, of tests on their schedule because they, they play in the West. But uh, LSU looks really good. I Obviously early, but it's, this is the best LSU team I've, I've seen in a really long time. All right, next team. And I apologize to those that hate the SEC or are bored by it, but I'm going to stay in the SEC, and this is kind of a, a potentially a fun one. Let's go to Florida. We've not made our Florida – or we have made our Florida thoughts pretty apparent on this podcast. But here's what I'm going to say. Florida is a, not a good top 10 team. They're not very good, yet they're in the top 10. The offense is not very good at all. Defensively, they're okay. However, Florida is all of a sudden interesting because Felipe Franks is out. And you know what? You know what? People get hurt. He's out for the year. But I'm sorry. As a football player, Felipe Franks is truly terrible. So... That Florida team, even though I have no idea what their backup looks like, the fact that Felipe Franks is not playing for them, I think Florida might be kind of sneaky excited that they have a new guy, and maybe Dan Mullen will be able to get something out of him. So Florida might be better than we think right now. What do you think? I think that's a bit of a galaxy brain take. Um, <laughs> if Kyle Trask, who is their backup, if he was better than Felipe Franks, I think, I think Dan Mullen would have been playing Kyle Trask. Um, and that, I'm not, I'm not saying Felipe Franks was good and man, that was a, I, 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 I saw a bit of his injury and just like, no, I, I, I just, I checked out pretty much immediately after I saw just like the, the little sliver of it. Um, so that really sucks for him. I mean that, oh God, that's gotta be really scary stuff. Um, 
but no, I, I'm not. I'm not going to have the take that Florida is better off with their backup quarterback. Um, All right, so I got this. Okay, so I'm I'm wrong on this one. All right. All although right. although give give Kyle Trask credit for. I mean, he led them back against Kentucky and he made some nice plays. Um, but no, I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's correct to say that they're better off with Felipe without Felipe Franks. Um, we're gonna find out a whole lot more about Florida. I think. I think Florida is gonna end up being exactly what everyone thought they were gonna be, which is a team that's nice in some places, but they're probably not quite explosive or good enough on offense uh, to challenge the top teams in the SEC. Let's see. What other team could I do? I'm trying to find one that you would disagree with, but I think we'd agree on a lot of these. I mean, like, for instance, Penn State. Penn State's Penn State. Uh, underwhelming, somehow wins games. James Franklin will get them eight, nine wins. And you're kind of just like, eh. I watched Penn a lot, State uh, again. Watched a lot of that game against Pitt. So did I. Uh, Penn State, not. Weather was bad. So yeah. throw that out there. But they that weren't very impressive. Didn't look that great. Weren't very impressive. Pitt's um, not a particularly interesting or good team. Pat Narduzzi is is a is a okay coach, I guess, but I think he's a better coordinator. I think we've decided now or figured out now than head coach because Pitt's kind of just been Pitt. They haven't really done much since he's been there. And uh, what did he? Uh, I didn't see the end of it, but he elected to kick a field goal from the one yard line. Yeah, with like when they were down by seven with like six minutes left. Yeah. Man, I mean that is you're going against a rival. Yeah, and he went he went for it like on fourth and three, like a couple of uh you know a couple of uh, first downs before that too when they were in the red zone. So yeah, it didn't re- yeah it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't know why you don't just go for the you know the touchdown there if you don't get it. You give the ball back to a struggling offense at the one yard line. That's I I will say though. Part of that game, and this is the mental, the college kid thing. I mean, Penn State just blew the doors off of Pitt last year. So now that I, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but Pitt was probably incredibly focused. Like, yeah, you guys aren't going to blow us out two years in a row. So that, a little bit of that could have been part of that game too. But but also, Lee, it's, I, I think it's fair to bring up when we're talking about Penn State, bring up two weeks ago against Buffalo as well. They got outgained by Buffalo and barely, I don't even think they had six yards per play against Buffalo on offense. That's the thing. Penn State's defense the last couple of years it's has good. actually been Their like defense one of the, is real solid. Yeah. But yet, Buffalo, yeah, was able to move the ball up and down the field. They just couldn't put the ball in the end zone very much. So that's interesting. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out on Penn State and congratulations to Penn State because as soon as I always go out on Penn State, they usually explode. So... All right, any other teams that you want to throw out there that I didn't mention? Because I think we got to move on to picks. But uh, was there like any team out there that you're hoping that I would bring up that I didn't? I kind of wanted you to bring up Alabama a little bit just because. I thought about bringing them up actually after Clemson, but I thought it'd be boring to bring up Alabama. No, so they're, my, they're really young on defense. Yeah, they're just getting tons of injuries on defense. And they gave up the backdoor cover, which we all hated. But I just kind of had this thing that Alabama's going to figure it out and be Alabama. So yeah, and it's it's possible, and their their offense has been, especially their passing offense, has been really good. Like everyone predicted, two has been great this year. I think he against South Carolina, he went for like four fifty and five touchdowns. That's it's pretty uh pretty pretty good. So, um, but yeah, I mean they're starting. I think the number was they're starting five freshmen in their front seven right now. I mean that's wow. okay. yeah. Well. That's They're probably all five-star players. 
Four, I mean, not all of them, but four and five star, yeah. But, uh, yeah, South Carolina had some success moving the ball with a true freshman quarterback. And, uh, oh, by the way, I, I did watch a, a decent portion of that game as well. Uh, Helsinki at uh, South Carolina, he's good. They, they have a, Yeah, he's good. They have uh, – South Carolina's got something in him for sure. All right. Uh, let's uh, move on. Let's make some picks. Uh, no need to talk about the Big 12. There's one Big Big 12 game, I think, this week, and, and we're going to pick it. So, uh, Grant, you did fantastic in the, the picks game we play outside of the podcast, but still, overall in the pod, you're, you're, not, you're not doing great. I think you were uh, – I forgot to mark down where you were last week, but overall you're 7-8. and eight, I'm 8-7. Eight and seven, So we're both right around 500 for the year. Do you know what you were last week on the pod? I think I would have been two and three, three and two, right? Three and two, or no, yeah, two I, and three. No, I was five and five, so I was two and three. Yeah, you were five and five. Okay, all right. So we're both kind of hovering around five hundred. Let's make this kind of quick. I, I got to get going here. Let's start with there's a, you know, there's a lot more ranked teams playing interesting games this week. We'll start on Friday though. Utah is laying four on the road at USC. USC obviously coming off that overtime loss to BYU. I was on USC that game because everyone was going on BYU, it seemed like, as the home dog, and the BYU side was correct. Boy, I, I mean, USC on a Friday night catching four after a loss like that, I, I, I'm trying to decide what, what Vegas wants us to take. I, it seems like it, I feel like Utah should be favored by more in this game because I know Utah was the Pac-12 favorite for a lot of people and you know, USC is kind of whatever with Clay Helton, but man, I, I'm kind of leaning, I'm kind of leaning towards the Trojans plus the points plus uh, yeah, four. I, I think Vegas wants us to take Utah because everyone's going to see that 10 next to Utah's name. Yeah. And they're going to think, Oh geez, they're playing an unranked USC and they're only a four point favorite. Of course, Utah. Um, man, and also I, the models, I like USC's quarterback. I, yeah. I like that guy. He's, he's solid. Yeah, he's solid. He he definitely, you know, he made some freshman mistakes against Utah and he turned it over three times, but against BYU. Yeah. Uh oh, sorry. Thank you. Against BYU, but otherwise, yeah, I thought he was pretty impressive. Um cuz yeah, I did see some of that game. So I'm going to take I'm going to lean USC plus the 4. Yeah, I think the correct sharp pick here is is USC and and the computer models um, I think like Utah to win, but a lot of them have have USC covering as well. I I think S&P has that. So, um, yeah, this is a game, honestly, I'm probably going to try to stay away from, but I would, I would lean USC. Same, yeah. Okay, so this is one of the bigger games of the weekend. We're going to go over right now. It's a Big Ten game. I hate the Big Ten. Do you hate the Big Ten, too, or is it just me? I, I, no, not – I mean, I don't – no, not anymore because I I follow it and it's – <laughs> I, I just – I hate these teams so much. They're just – they don't do anything for me, man. Michigan – at Wisconsin, I haven't seen. I, I saw Wisconsin a little bit in their opener against South Florida, and I, I was on Wisconsin that game, and, and they won. So Wisconsin's laying three and a half at home against Michigan. I, I mean, they throw the hook in there because I think if if it's Wisconsin three, you're you're jumping on Wisconsin big time. But you got that hook in there, and you got the close Big Ten and defense things like that. And then you think, okay, it's Michigan. I you know I'm sorry, I can't back Michigan. I. I don't like either one of these teams, but it seems like this is one of those random years where Wisconsin might be okay. Ah, but they're—I think they're both coming off a bye, aren't they? I, man, I don't. This game's tough. This is a tough one. Like I, just, I it, it's one of those things where you can't let your emotions 
get in the way because I hate Michigan. I hate them so much. I, I think they stink. They should have lost to Army. But it's an incredibly emotional thing to be like, you know what, screw you, Michigan. I'm going to go Wisconsin minus three and a half. But that hook is, uh, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean Michigan plus the three and a half. I, they underwhelmed. The, but the thing is, Michigan hasn't covered yet. Uh, I, but I'm, I'm going to lean Michigan plus the three and a half. But I think this might be another stay away. Definitely, this is definitely a stay away for me just because I – and I, I know the public is going to go heavy on Wisconsin in yep. this one just based yep. off of what's, what's happened so far, which, which makes me really want to run towards Michigan. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Wisconsin just because I, Michigan has – they just haven't looked good. And I – if Michigan even wins this game, that means they're going to flash a, a potential we haven't, we haven't seen it all this year. And I – I don't know, Wisconsin being at home. Give me Wisconsin to win by like 10. All right, Auburn at Texas A&M. Auburn number eight at A&M, number 17. And we got the lower-ranked team favored at home. A&M's giving three and a half to Auburn on Saturday. This is tough, too. Man, these same kind of idea. You know, you got the three in the hook for the home team. Auburn... I don't like their offense very much. I think Texas A&M's got a good defense, but man, I I don't also don't trust A&M in big games, and it's not much of a home field advantage at Kyle Field. Just isn't. I've, I've been to, geez, I would have gone to probably almost ten games there when I was covering them. I guess maybe seven or eight, and it's just, it just it wasn't. It didn't feel like much of a home field advantage, uh, contrary to the popular belief. Um, man, I. I think, gosh, begrudgingly, I'm going to lean actually with A&M minus three and a half. I think Jimbo Fisher is, uh, I, I, this is tough. I not not strong. I don't feel strongly about this one at all. But I'm going to lean A&M minus three and a half. I like Auburn in this one actually. Auburn is, uh, I mean, outside of Georgia, Auburn right now might be flashing the best defense in the SEC. They have the best defensive line in the SEC going up against a really green Texas A&M offensive line that really struggled to block Clemson's inexperienced defensive line. I think Kellen Mond is really, I mean, really just an average to below average player going up against a good defense, a good defensive line. Give me Auburn. I don't think Texas A&M is going to score that many points. All right. Two more games. The big, big 12 game. (laughs) Big, big 12 game. Uh, The week... 6.30 6.30 Saturday, OSU at Texas. Texas ranked number 12. It just shows you how much respect that Vegas has given Oklahoma State. They think the Cowboys are pretty good. Uh, and granted, there's some history involved with this, this line too, but Texas is only laying six at home against an unranked Oklahoma State team. The I Man, I history tells you you got to take the Cowboys plus the points. I mean, Oklahoma State's won the last five games in Austin, I think. And they've won something like four in a row in the series. For whatever reason, Oklahoma State's got Texas's number. By the way, did you know that Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard each lead the nation in their uh, one leads the nation in rushing yards and the other in receiving yards? I did know that. Yeah, they're yeah, how about uh, that. They're good. I mean, yeah, Oklahoma State. Ha- that's a that's a heck of a one-two punch right there. Chuba Hubbard is like is is kind of intimidating with his mix of uh, size and speed. Yeah, here's the thing, and I was talking to Cliff Brunt of the AP the other day at OU Availability, and we were talking about this. 
Uh, and well, it's we were talking about Chuba Hubbard, and I said, dude, I mean, I, I don't want to. How should I say this? Um, let's just put it this way. I, I think that, and you can you can argue with me or not. I I think you're going to agree though, Grant. I think Chuba Hubbard's better than anybody Oklahoma has at running back. Yeah, yeah. Based off what I've seen so far, I I would agree. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma's got more depth, obviously, but I think I think Chuba Hubbard. I mean, he rightfully he was a preseason All Big Twelve pick. I, yeah, I think he's a better player than than Justice Hill as far as uh, just because he's bigger. I think he might be faster than Justice Hill. He's got more power. He's more explosive. Physically, more hits. Physically, in terms of like his body type, he reminds me of. He looks like Saquon Barkley. Yeah, he kind of does. Yeah, I mean, he's just a freak, man. He's he's really good. I mean, Chuba Hubbard's a gonna make himself a lot of money, but this taller. Year. But he's he's just taller. Yeah, he's like goes about six one, six two. He's from Canada, man. Canada bringing him, bringing in some of the these elite football players. Uh, so Grant, I'm gonna take OSU plus the six. Who are you on? I'm actually leaning Texas on this, um, just because I, I, I Texas has has impressed me. I think they've looked really good, and um, the Oklahoma State's struggling a little bit with Tulsa last week gives me pause. Uh, they gave up quite a bit of yards and points to Oregon State, and I think Texas's offense is really good. I think this is going to be a shootout. I, I think both teams. This game might be played into the 40s on both sides. So take um, the over. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because I, I think Texas's Texas's defense might be going through a, a rough patch right now, and I mean, I, I definitely think Oklahoma State can take advantage of that. So. Um, I know I lean Texas. I'm going to say like Texas, like 48 to 41 or something. I'm talking like that many points. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. This is a game I'm going to stay away from. I don't. I usually don't ever pick Big 12 games. I just feel like I'm too close to it, and my emotions uh, are are way too close to each team, and so I just can never get a good read on them. All right, final game, maybe the biggest game of the weekend. Notre Dame is going to Georgia. Although Georgia is laying 14 and a half, 14 in the hook, but you just, you can't get me to get to the window and, and bet uh, Notre Dame against a team like Georgia, especially in Athens. So uh, I'm going to lean Georgia just because that hook scares me minus 14 and a half. But uh, it, this is either, this is favorite or pass for me. What about you? I lean Georgia as well. I yeah, to me it's it's the same thing. You either take Georgia here, or you don't bet it at all. I'm I'm just really skeptical of of Notre Dame being able to come in there and, and put up honestly like more than 20 points. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. They struggled against pretty much anyone last year that presented any sort of competent defense. And Ian Book's a solid player, but he's not a guy who's really going to push it down the field a lot. And I know they have some good receivers at Notre Dame. But the thing that I really look at, and I saw this stat right, kind of right before we started uh, recording, and their first two games this year, and this is not against uh, juggernauts for Notre Dame, they've given up, they're giving up about 230 yards per game on the ground and over five yards per carry. And I think, and Georgia's averaging like eight yards per carry this season on offense. Uh, so Georgia might just be able to just bleed them and, uh, and get chunk plays on the ground. And you know, if they're getting chunk plays on the ground, that means the play-action game with Jake Fromm is going to be working really well. Um, wouldn't surprise me if... This seems like a game that Georgia wins like 34-17, to 41-17. You, would you agree with that? Uh, I don't know. 
they're going to score that many points. But the thing that I'm thinking about, though, too, is Georgia hasn't played anybody yet this year at all. They could have just been super vanilla for the first three games, and they could be throwing some some wrinkles at Notre Dame, too, because it's a big game. And this is kind of the – let's see, what what Georgia beat them by a point a couple of years ago in, in South Bend. Yeah, this and it was a really good trip. game. Really yeah. good game. But, uh, you know, that was early. That was freshman Jake Fromm. And uh, now he's a little more advanced, and I think Georgia's team has gotten better. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, forty-one-seven. I mean, that would be great if you take Georgia there. But um, I don't really have a feel for it. But again, I think it's Georgia or pass. Yeah, I think they call uh, on the Solid Verbal podcast. They call uh, they have this term called crock potting, where it's like a game that that just kind of slowly turns into a blowout as it goes along. It's like sort of close the entire time, but. The more you go, it's like, oh, yeah, Georgia just added on another one. Oh, they just added on a field goal. Oh, wow, now all of a sudden they're up by 24 type of deal. I think this game is going to be a crock-potting. <laughs> okay. I, it's, that's, it's hysterically funny. I just like the term. All right, that's our picks for the week. Uh, that's all I have. Let's, uh, I guess, uh, oh, I guess a reminder, if you're listening this long, no podcast uh, next, next uh, Monday because uh, we don't have a game to talk about. So we're going to take next Monday off, but of course we will be back with our pre-Texas Tech preview a week from when this podcast comes out. So we'll see you then. Enjoy week four of college football. Even though Oklahoma's not playing, it's still college football. We only get so few of these per year, so enjoy it. Uh, until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.